This Westwards mini masterclass is a production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. For more information on Westwards and what we do, please go to westwards.com.au. Welcome to today's mini masterclass with me, James Roy. I'm your host today, as I am on most occasions. And today, first cab off the rank for 2022, which of course we all hope will be a much better year than the previous two, we have Mick Elliott on the line. How are you, Mick? I'm very well, thank you, James. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for joining us. So, um, look, let me just uh, look at your bio here and let people know who you are. This is, this is what you provided me. Um, yes, I'm curious to hear it myself. <laughs> well, you wrote it, so it shouldn't be a surprise. But apparently you're an author, an illustrator, a TV producer. I think you were with Nickelodeon, weren't you? Uh, yes, Nick and a bunch of other channels. Okay, we'll get to that. Uh, screenwriter, literacy, literacy ambassador and professional mischief maker. Um, oh, I hope, I hope, I'd hope i rather a professional mischief maker than an amateur mischief maker. It suggests no, you don't that, want those amateurs. No, it suggests that you know what, what, you know what you're doing, that... that uh, yeah. Um, and uh, you've written um, books for young people. Uh, you've illustrated books for uh, middle grades as well. You have had an Aurealis Award nomination at least once. You've had uh, books published in multiple international places. Uh, you've contributed to anthologies. You've got a new picture book series coming out later this year by from Walker Books Australia. But uh, you're also, as I say, the... Uh, a producer and writer for Nickelodeon, Sesame Workshop, Channel 10, the ABC. And uh, you are joining us today to talk about, well, I asked you what you'd like to talk about and you came back with um, with this. You came back with uh, how, how are things changing in writing for young people in a changing age? Is that Have I summed that up well enough? Yeah, yes, definitely. I call it writing for the YouTube generation. Much as I hate to give labels to generations, mm. I think we can safely say that um, young readers, primary age readers today, are very much uh, digital users. And um, I'm, I'm very, very interested to explore how that has impacted and continues to impact how we as, as children's writers need to you know, engage our audience. Yeah, I saw something really <laughs> quite funny the other day. Um, my wife was looking at something on TikTok, and of course we'll talk about TikTok as well, but she was watching TikTok and there was a, uh, a someone had put a video up there and said, my son and the the child was like four or five. My son was told that there are dog training videos on YouTube, and so this kid is holding up the iPad to the dog, showing the dog <laughs> showing the dog the dog training videos. Fantastic! It is fantastic. But the funny thing is that he's he's four or five, so we can forgive him. But my grandfather, who who departed a couple of years back, he probably would have done the same thing because he didn't grow up with this. How, what, what are we looking at when we're, we're dealing with kids these days that is different from when you, even you and I not that long ago were kids? I think that the first thing um, is that because uh, you know, the, the generation, the primary school age generation of kids who are reading and engaging with stories now, and I'm talking about kids of anywhere between the age of 7 to 12 years old, they have all grown up since the invention, you know, basically of tablets and the, and the iPhone and all of the types of um, apps and streaming content and other video platforms that have been available to them all of their lives. But the people creating um, content for them, us, uh, writers, we didn't grow up through that. And so our experience of engaging with stories and the written word is completely different 
So I think we, we as authors have a, a real challenge to try to bridge the gap um, between those two different types of, of ways of engaging with stories. And I think um, it's very, very easy to fall into the sort of media alarmist point of view that, oh my God, you know, this is terrible. Kids are all addicted to YouTube. They're addicted to Minecraft and you know, they're, they're addicted to TikTok. But actually, it, it's really no different than, than, for example, however many hundreds of years ago when the novel came along. And mm. you know, there was a lot of derision about the novel as a format of storytelling, that it was considered to be low art and so on. And even if you read some of um, Jane Austen, she often takes a bit of a poke at her own format. Um, so it's a similar sort of thing, only it's much, much more rapid. It's changing sometimes even, you know, within the year, within months in terms of the different types of platforms that kids are using. So inevitably, that's changing the the way that kids are absorbing structure. It's changing the way that they engage with, with stories and content and also just the definition of what a story is and what characters are. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it is really up to us as, as authors to go, okay, let's look at how they're engaging with content and, and, and you know, I hate to use the you know the word of the last few years, but pivot um, the way that we tell our stories to, to ensure that they remain engaged. Because that's what we're all trying to do. We're all still trying to engage kids with with the written word and with storytelling in a written format. Well, when you're speaking about pivoting, I mean, even well, we thought we were on a bit of a trajectory in terms of kids using uh, online stuff in the way they were, and then COVID came mm. along, and suddenly everyone had to pivot, and suddenly kids were expected to use their devices for school as well as entertainment. And so the whole world had to make a pivot again. So, I mean, nothing's really set, settled in, is it? No, I mean, every, everything really is changing. And even, you know, I've, I've got young kids as well. I've got one, one um, my son who's 10 and my, my daughter who's 15. Um, both of what, you know, marketing departments would call digital natives. Mm. Right? And that they grew up with, with digital technology. Um, but it was, it was really quite interesting during, you know, the, the, the long, bleak lockdown period um, just to see how the teaching staff at different schools had to look at how to tailor their teaching content into an online platform. And, I, you know, I applaud all of the mm, teaching staff at absolutely. all of the schools because it would have been incredibly difficult. But it, it was interesting early on in the first round of lockdowns to see that it was still quite a traditional classroom-type format. The volume of work was probably similar to a, to a lesson, whereas by the time the later lockdowns were, were occurring later in 2021, um, it was much more about uh, what I would call short, snackable-type lessons, which are much more like a YouTube type experience where you are just engaging with little bits of content frequently for a short amount of amounts of time. And I found certainly with my son that worked a lot better for his engagement than a long, you know, multi-tasked um, lesson that was going to take an hour so he could do one little bit of math that was going to take him 10 minutes and move on to the next activity. That, that actually worked really well for him. And I think in, in terms of storytelling and writing books for kids, it's a similar sort of strategy that we need to look at. Yeah, there's so much to talk about here. I mean, look, I, I remember saying to my best mate Shannon a while ago, and he's a couple of years younger than me, but but I was talking about, I was deriding the fact that, this is some years ago, deriding the fact that my, my kids seemed incapable of looking out the window as we travelled and <laughs> had to have their nose in a screen. I said, you know, when we were kids driving up to whatever up on the other end of the, the north coast, you know, we used to have to sit and look out the window. And he said, yeah, and do you remember how bored you were? <laughs> and I went, well, that's a fair point, isn't it? He said, what, would you have killed for an iPad if it, such, a, such a thing had existed? And I went, no, you got to you make a fair point. <laughs> of, of course we would have. And it, it, again, it's, it's very easy to fall into that sort of, you know, a current affair 
you know, our gener- our next generation are all addicted to iPads and so on. But but honestly, I mean, I, I can remember in my own childhood back in the eighties. Um, you know, I, I would I would spend most of my holidays. Yes, I'd play cricket and I'd read books and I'd play with my Lego and all those things. But of course, I would love to be able to spend vast tracts of time just watching whatever was on the four channels that mm. were available on TV. But the difference now, of course, is that through through these digital platforms, well, kids can actually engage in a very nuanced way with very specific types of content that interests them. So they're not watching, you know, I, mean, I would end up, you know, probably at the age of 10 or 11, by the time, you know, 12 o'clock rolled around and all the daytime folks started watching, I'd be still sitting there going, oh, well, I may as well watch Days of Our Lives. Yeah, right. you know, whereas, whereas now if a child is interested in, in anything, be it, um, you know, be it athletics, be it math, be it Dungeons and Dragons, be it Minecraft, anything at all. Well, they can they can find that content yeah. very very quickly. So, you know, I, I think there's actually there is a real benefit in that. But but of course, at the same time, you know, we don't want our kids to be you know on those devices from seven o'clock in the morning until ten o'clock at night. Of course, that's not what 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 I'm suggesting. But these these devices, these platforms, they are here to stay. They are not going anywhere. So I think we, we have a responsibility to look at how can we use them in a way that that is actually really going to be Engage and enhance our, our kids' learning experience, and our kids' creativity and imagination, and, and it is possible. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a couple of observations very quickly. That I had to, exp- I was trying to explain to my six-year-old grandson the other day that uh, mm-hmm. that um, when we were kids, you know, that I was talk- I was explaining to him that the the TV guide and how you'd go. <laughs> okay, so you know, different strokes starts at seven o'clock so if you want to watch it you've got to be there on the stroke of seven and and then the other night my wife and i sat and watched something on on one of the streaming chat or one of the catch-up channels for channel nine and my god it was unwatchable because the ads were all over the place and and they now they don't write television with with ads kind of considered so they were putting their ad breaks in at the most weird places and so yeah, I think I mean, from a screenwriting perspective, this has all changed massively as well, hasn't it? We, we seem to be sitting down and binging out on, on whole seasons rather than little kind of single episodes or, or that, single movies. That's right. It, it is interesting in, in terms of, of TV, yes, certainly that, that, that very now you know, seems archaic concept of a channel to tell you, you are going to turn up at Wednesday on Wednesday at 7.30 and we're going to feed you this 43-minute show over the course of an hour and mm. break it up with a whole bunch of ads. Mm. Um, I mean, that 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 has long since gone out the window, but it's, it's funny the commercial channels are still desperately, they've got a death grip onto that format because, of course, that's how commercial that's how make channels money. make money mm. is, is through the advertising. So, yeah, those awful online services that just blatantly ram an ad break wherever because it's all, it is all done in, in an automated way now. It used to be mm. done by actual humans who yeah. would work out exactly where the ad break went and had to flow in, in, in and out of it in a seamless way. Now it's just bang, it just cuts in the middle of a, sometimes in the middle of a line of dialogue, which, you know, um, yeah, it's it, not the, the best experience of yours. Well, we were watching the first, the first episode of the new season of Ozark last night and actually because right. I was thinking about this conversation we were going to be having and I was thinking about this exact topic and I thought, there are so many mo- I couldn't I kind of couldn't find a moment in that episode where an ad break would have worked because mm. the build-up of tension through that episode was so strong and so palpable. I thought if you, if they took us now to talk about you know dishwashing liquid and Tim Tams, <laughs> every the whole thing shattered. It all falls apart. Yes, it, it, it really. Uh, yes, it, it's. I mean, it, there will come a time, and certainly for you know for your grandkids, the grandchild, and my you know youngest kids, that, that idea of someone's just going to suddenly interrupt you 
in the middle of a story, it, it just seems ghastly. But, you know, that was what we were used to. And it, it, it is very hard to shake that sense of what you had as a, the experience you had as a child or growing up that should be the template. But it's not. And everything's changing. And in another 10 years, another 20 years, who knows? I mean, I guess YouTube um, kind of does it now. But I, I think if if somebody comes up with a better way of putting ads in than YouTube does it, that will probably become the the, the standard, won't it, I guess, at some point. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, um, look, we've kind of wandered off on a bit of a tangent, which is fine. I, I love talking about this stuff. But um, you write for, you have written or you do write for TV as well as writing books. What, are, what do you think are the challenges for writers today when they're engaging with an audience, either for television or for books? Have we covered it or is there more? Um, well, I mean, it'd be great. I mean, I think I might, if we can talk a little bit about just how the two the two sides meet, I guess. Sure. Because um, certainly in, in writing the, the series that I've written, that's the Turner's trilogy and the Squidge Dibley books. Um, you know, I came from a TV background. I came from, um, actually started doing promos for, for TV in my very early career and um, sort of moved more into producing and screenwriting. Um, and I, I learned a lot through my, at the time, almost 20 years at Nickelodeon and I've worked for a bunch of other channels making kids content since. But there, there's, a, there's a different, there's a couple of different things. I mean, one, one is that um, you, you, need, you need to be very, very aware not to talk down to kids. And it's something that I'm, I'm always, you know, very, very aware of when I pick up, pick up any book. And I love going to my local bookshops big shout out to all my local bookshops in the inner west here in Sydney um and you know looking at, at the latest books and seeing what's out there um and I think you know I'm, I'm always always really happy when I see that the author is treating kids with respect and is treating them as being smart and um that was certainly something that was really really drilled into us at Nickelodeon is to treat kids with respect and and to loop that back to our early conversation about uh, digital platforms and digital, digital habits you know you, you need to engage your reader from the first sentence, from the first paragraph, from the first page, because just like they won't continue watching a clip on YouTube beyond the first five seconds, it's the same with a book, mm. same with any type of storytelling. If they're not engaged from the outset, um, they're not, they're not going to stay with you. And so I think um, that, that's why certainly in, in all of my, my books, I've tried to really engage the reader from that first moment you know, short, sharp chapters that end on cliffhangers that make them want to keep on reading because that's what we want, of course. We want them to keep keep reading. And it's exactly the same thing that in TV shows you're trying to do. You're trying to hook the audience in as quickly as possible. You're trying to keep them wanting to watch um, you know, right through the show, through every scene and for every scene to finish with them wanting to know what's going to happen to those characters next. So it, it's really about keeping them interested and you just don't have the luxury of that slow, luxurious lead-in and I mean, you know, you, you might for, for very experienced readers or for readers who are highly engaged with books, but I, I write for those reluctant readers. I write for those kids that maybe don't have um, a great reading culture at home or who don't um, read a lot of books out of choice and um, who might have only had a, a book thrust into their hand by a teacher, you know, as part of schoolwork. Well, I, I write for those kids who might not be so likely to want to read and, you know, they're, they're the ones I'm going for with, with, with my books. And I really try to make sure that, they are going to be engaged and they're going to want to read on. Do you do you think that your writing is quite filmic? Do you think about it as a – when you're writing your books, do you see them in playing out in your mind like a TV show? Yeah, def definitely. And um, in, in TV, um, you know, we work a lot with structure in every every episode of a TV show. The first thing that you actually – you know, you, you basically write a treatment, you write a structure for the episode before any dialogue is written. You, you're literally just breaking down the episode into into sections pretty mm. much into into acts and um you know a, a lot of um 
a lot of programs for commercial channels are still formed around how many ad breaks the show is going to have, whether it's three ad breaks or four ad breaks. Um, and so, you know, you, you're actually writing them, you're treating them sort of like chapters, really. And I, I definitely found um, when I was writing my, my first book, The Turners, um, that I was very much thinking of it in, in cinematic terms, not just in terms of the scope of the story and the ideas in it and the characters, but in the structure um, you know, of, of a film or a TV episode. Um, and I found that that actually serves me really well and actually continues to even in um, the new manuscripts I'm working on at the minute. So to push that a little bit further then, when, you, when, you talk about, when we talk about screenwriting, we, we often talk about every scene has to do a couple of jobs. You know, It either has to... And you can you can say the same for literary writing if you like. It's got to either introduce a a new complication or or a question in the mind of the reader or a mystery yeah. or explain something or or whatever. And in in most screenwriting, I think you'll probably agree that you you, you go for a couple of those you know, goals if you can in in each scene. Is that something that you do in your writing for young children in this way as well? Are you are you conscious of that, or is it just something that happens automatically now that you've been doing it for a while? Um, I'm, I'm always conscious of it. I mean, you, you, you think it gets easier. Um, I, I think you get more experience at it, but it doesn't necessarily get easier. Um, but in, in, in a TV episode, when, um, and it, you know, TV is a very collaborative medium, certainly um, compared to writing your own manuscript, mm. where certainly as you start, it's a lot more solo um, you know, until you start to work with a publisher or an editor, and then you, which is always great, you start to get different viewpoints. But um, with, with TV, yes, you, you, usually, um, you usually have um, what's called an A, an A narrative, a B narrative, and sometimes a C narrative. The A narrative, of course, being the, the main big plot that's happening, which might feature the main characters. But then you'll have a B narrative um, sitting underneath that, which is going on concurrently, and sometimes even a C narrative, maybe with some support characters. And all of those three narratives run in parallel and they get different amounts of screen time, but all of them have to be tied up by the end. Um, and so, look, I, I think it, it is actually the same um, in terms of writing, in terms of the book writing that I've done, both in terms of the Turners and in terms of the Squidge Dibley series. While, yes, of course, there is an A plot that your main character is driving along, of course there are B and C plots there as well. Um, and it's the weaving in between those and getting those all to, to resolve in a really satisfactory way um, and hopefully, hopefully a complementary way um, you know, that, that is satisfying for the reader when, uh, you know, when they get to that final page and hopefully makes them then want to read the next book in the series. <laughs> One of the things that I've, I've often talked about um, in workshops or whatever is this idea that language changes um, especially if you're writing for young adults, if you mm. if you wrote the way an, a young adult speaks, any given young adult, and of course they're, they're all individuals, so I'm told. Um, if you if you write it the way any one particular young adult speaks in a particular demographic or a different area or a different you know, patois, if you like, it's mm. going to be dated very quickly, almost possibly <laughs> even before the book comes out. Yes, and that's a little bit less of the case with younger, but it's still somewhat a case, but. My question is, how do we handle this in terms of the changing technologies, for example, that kids are using? And I'm not talking about the way we deliver the story. We'll, we'll get to that in a sec. Mm. But the things that are integrated into their lives. I mean, I, I have in my own writing, I think I made, I made up a name for Facebook. I think I called it. It wasn't Friendface. That was from IT crowd, but something <laughs> similar to that, right? Um how, how do you handle this idea of technologies changing or do you think it's sort of set in stone enough that it's it's sustainable for the short term but at some point you're gonna you're gonna run out of it 
It's, it's such a great question, James. It really is. I think that's something that um, that anyone that's writing any anything, be it TV, be it books, um, any storytelling format that is set right now, mm. um, yes, and there's, there's a long gestation period if you're writing a book. It, it probably won't be out for another 18 months to two years, and TV is often even longer. Um, yeah, and if you're referring to the latest, uh, whatever the latest phone technology or, or so on is, um, it is going to be out of date. Right. I mean, anything, if you, if you go to the, to, you know, the Apple store or wherever today, whatever you're buying today is basically already out of date. <laughs> so well, you know, very, very hard. just to interrupt for a second, the um, listeners to this podcast will have heard me relate this story before, but for your benefit, I my second young adult novel, which was released in 98, I think, um, I had that character stopping on their road trip and finding payphone and fifty cents so they could call <laughs> mum and tell them they were fine. Um, and that that hasn't aged well. Although you know you could argue yeah. now, now that storage is now vintage. But does it behoove us all maybe just to set everything in the nineteen fifties? And, and <laughs> there's definitely something to be said for that. Um, there's definitely something to be said for that. I mean, even um, I mean, it's interesting. Just I'm, I'm um, you know just working on a, a TV series for Channel Ten and, and Nickelodeon at the minute. Um, which is about a group of kids. And it's interesting just to see the, the language. Obviously, all the writers are adults, and they've done an amazing job. Um, but even just some of the language that, you know, for example, uh, a 14-year-old won't say, where's my mobile phone? They'll just say, where's my phone? Yeah. Um, they won't say, let's look that up on the internet. They'll just say, look Google it. <laughs> you know, Google it. Yeah. Um, you know, so just li- little things like that. It's, it's always very, very obvious when an adult is writing uh, kids' dialogue because, but, you know, because you know they, they just don't use the same terminology. They don't say mobile phone because all phones are mobile. <laughs> you know, the concept of a phone that's not mobile is not even part of you know their uh, their world. So because can, can we just spare a moment? Hard. Can we sorry? Can we just spare a moment too to celebrate with whoever it was at Google who said what we really want is for our company name to be what people say as a verb yeah. when they want to look things yeah. up. And somebody Amazing. wanted somebody set that as the goal and achieved it. And I, I imagine that person's on a major bonus. You'd hope so. You'd hope so. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's the gold standard, isn't it? If you can, you know, oh man, that's such a Mick Elliott book. That, that, that's, <laughs> that's really what we're all going for, isn't it? It is amazing that uh, yeah, the brand name is actually has now become a, a standard it's, it's verb. A verb. It's yeah, incredible. Exactly. Um, but look, it, it's not easy, and I think um, yeah. Look, it, I, I guess as, as writers, we just have to make a decision. Okay, this this story it's set in twenty twenty two. This is where technology is at in twenty twenty two. Okay, in a few years' time, it's going to be dated. That's it. I mean, it's funny. I, I caught a, a little bit of the original Mission Impossible movie, the Tom Cruise thing, came out in ninety six. There is a long long, very, you know, high tension scene in that in which basically Tom Cruise is sending an email. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I was watching this going, wow, at the time, this must have seemed so high tech. Um, so it's hard, but it's, it's funny. I mean, I'm working, I've been working on a, a manuscript for a new book for the last few years and I've probably got another year ahead of me, but I'm, I'm actually it's deliberately set in well into the future in a uh, technology-free world, probably subconsciously, so I don't have to deal with any of this. <laughs> indeed, uh, indeed. Of dating technology. Well, I wonder what was the name of the um, what was the name of the computer in uh, oh, the Stanley Kubrick movie? Um, oh, in Dave in uh, two thousand and one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that computer. I mean, these days oh, it would Hal. Hal. Hal would be auto correcting your your request. <laughs> I can't do that. I don't understand what you're saying. I'm, Enter your password. Dave. I think you mean this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, so yeah, I mean that, that's that's an interesting idea. The the fact that 
technologies might change, but it, it's not even just the actual devices. It's it's things that like YouTube and then and, and Facebook, of course, no self-respecting teenager uses Facebook anymore. No. Um, <laughs> there's TikTok, and of course, we've got our, one of our Westwards alumni, uh, Rawa Ardra, is a major TikTok personality, and mm. that, that that's informed a lot of what she's done. Again, how do you, how do we use these things to help our, ourselves as as creators, either either in either in the story we're telling or in disseminating the story to getting getting it out on the, onto the platform? How do, how do we use yeah. these new platforms and stay ahead of it? I mean, I think there's a couple of different ways to approach it. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if we're talking purely in terms of storytelling, I mean, I think um, my, my my teenage daughter is very very into TikTok. Um, you know, naturally, as an adult, your, your first instinct is to poo-poo it all and go, oh, that's all a load of nonsense, which is probably the same thing that, you know, perhaps some of our parents or grandparents did about some of the TV content that we were watching as kids. <laughs> um, but but it's actually, it, it's really interesting insofar as it, it's actually an incredibly distilled type of storytelling. I mean, you, you're basically distilling down everything which a screenwriter or a writer would spend pages and pages and pages trying to set up, um, you know, for, for whether it be something um, that's serious or an elaborate gag, they're distilling it all down into a very, very precise amount of time. And, mm. and, um, and I think, you know, we, while you know, I, I definitely am not a fan of Twitter, I think Twitter kind of did the same thing. I mean, we're we're going to force everyone who engages with this platform to distill what they want to say down into a very small number of characters and see what comes out of that. And that's actually, I mean, that's a similar technique to what is used in, in screenwriting, in advertising, copywriting, is that you've, you've only got a limited amount of, of, of space, but a very tiny parameter. So how are you going to ensure that you engage the audience? And I think TikTok does the same thing. It really goes, okay, here's a joke. It's going to go for five seconds or 10 seconds or 15 seconds. So the content on there that cuts through is the content that really uses those those limitations uh, to to their advantage. Um, so that's one side of it. The, the other side of it is purely just from a an author profile point of view, which I think you know all, all authors have a real challenge with because um, you know once upon a time it was absolutely okay for an author just to write a really really great book, and then the publishing company would take it away and and make it look great and do a great cover and sell it into bookshops and do all the promotion and get out there. But of course now as as authors we we are expected to be and need to have a social media profile. So, um, you know, you, you have to look at how you're going to use your time practically, like uh, what platforms are you going to be on? Um, how much time are you going to spend on them? And there's the danger that you actually end up not doing any writing because yeah. you're so busy servicing this, this, this you know, kind of abyss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, so, but I mean, my solution to that has, has been, okay, let's look at where, where the actual audience for whatever book series I'm working on is right now and just really try to contain the amount of time that I spend on there because it, it will it will take whatever you give it. Yeah. <laughs> if that's all day, it'll take it. If it's 10 minutes a day, it'll take it. So it's hard. It's hard though, isn't it? Yeah, it's all time balanced. That might be a conversation for another time. Um, the last question I've got for you is um, mm-hmm. what are you working on right now? Oh, a, a number of things. So um, I'm having a, a lot of fun working on my first um, picture book series for Walker Books. Um, we haven't actually announced the title yet. So I, I, as of today, can't uh, let you know what the title is, but it will be coming out um, in August this year, the first of three books. Um, and um, it's, a, it's a real celebration. I'll just say it's a celebration of, of 
both parenthood and pet ownership. And um, it's been so much fun. The Walker team are absolutely fantastic and have been just, just a delight to work with. Who's um, illustrating so it? Are you illustrating it yourself? Yes, I'm so writing and, and illustrating it, which is a whole new uh, new experience for me. Obviously, I illustrated my last series, Squidge Ghibli, but that was that was more of a, a graphic novel type of project, mm-hmm. whereas this is full, full color picture book um, illustrations. And just, just absolutely loving it and really you know pushing myself creatively, which is great. Um, concurrent to that, I'm also working on and have been working on a, a new manuscript for a slightly older um, upper middle grade to early YA audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sort of three quarters of the way through a draft on that. Um, and, and also just, just um, trying to develop a couple of different um, potential graphic novel and uh, middle grade ideas. But as you know, as a, as a writer, coming up with the ideas is, is easy. Everyone has a thousand ideas, notebooks at any time. It's the, which one do I choose to, mm. to devote my time to and, and to pursue? Um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's what I'm working on. And then, uh, then simultaneously uh, continuing to work um, on a number of TV shows and really enjoying that side of it as well. Yeah, nice. Okay. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. Uh, all the best with what you're working on. Try and uh, try and focus. I know there's a lot on. <laughs> um, and you're you're going to be our um, you're going to be our clubhouse guest in March, I believe. That's right. I can't wait. I'll be sharing a whole bunch of different uh, writing tips and and different insights into um, my writing process in in March on the Westwards blog. I absolutely can't wait. It's such a wonderful organisation. I've loved the work I've done with Westwards in the past, and oh, thank uh, you. couldn't be more excited to be uh, to be involved in the blog in well, uh, in March. Well, fantastic. Thank you. All right. Well, um, thank you for uh, once again for joining us, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks so much, Dan. Thanks for having me.